Hey everyone, welcome to the We're Friends podcast, where we bring meaningful conversations to you. I'm Jen Brubaker, and I'm here with my co-host, work, and real friend, Ainsley Stanley. This is the identity crisis season, so go to the park, watch the sunset, go bird watching, do whatever you need to do, and enjoy today's episode. Today on the podcast, we have Melanie Kutnickel, who's the Youth Center Director here at Youth Unlimited YFC North Perth. She just finished her master's degree. She's also a pastor of a little church called Journey here in Listowel. Today is part one of a two-part conversation all about identity in the wilderness and learning how to be made into the image of God through suffering. It is a hard but good conversation, and we're so excited to share it with you. So enjoy. Here's your official welcome to work, wow. friends, Mel. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> a long time coming. <laughs> I've been oh. in on that work friends thing for a long time without yeah. actually being <laughs> with you on work friends, right? Yeah. Sitting in the office and yakking yeah. away. Oh, yes. Always. <laughs> yeah. Here we are. Well, we're going to start off with some fun facts so people can kind of get a little better idea of who you are. Sweet. <laughs> Where did you grow up? <laughs> Uh, on a farm outside of Roxeter, where my parents still are. Oh, cool. Yeah. How many years have you been married? 28. Wow. wow. Mm-hmm. Crazy. What's one of your favorite memories? I love to travel. So, like, some of the things that we've done, some of the hikes we've been on, some of the views that we've seen, those mm. are just like, ah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Love it. <laughs> makes me it I was thinking this morning like oh, I just want to go on a good hike somewhere outside <laughs> of this area <laughs> out of the norm yes um do you like orange juice with or without pulp that's random <laughs> yeah we're all about that <laughs> <laughs> with or without pulp mm. I don't like like you know how they have in the grocery store the extra pulp I would mm. never choose extra pulp but I'm like fine with anything else mm. okay good to know <laughs> if you had a free day what would you do travel Hike. Mm. Yeah. Go away somewhere. Kayak. Mm. I don't know. Just get out of the house. Do something different. Mm -hmm. Mm. What's your biggest pet peeve? Hmm. Um, I'm not very good at waiting. So, so like I can think of times, you know, when you go for an appointment and you sit there and you wait and you wait and you wait. And I think now it's better because I, you have a phone. You can always do something. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's really bad, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, waiting. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the one at the checkout who's like, oh, shoot, I picked the wrong line. <laughs> <laughs> mm. What's your most favorite thing about being a mom? Hmm. I would have to say, I mean, other than the, like, memories, right? Memories you have of different stages and just how much love you have for other human beings. Um, But how much it's taught me about myself and about love and about um, following Jesus in community. (laughs) Mm. Um, All of those things are just, they're profound. I I wouldn't trade them for anything. Mm. In one word, how would you describe God? Grace. Mm. Are you a morning person or night person? Definitely night person. <laughs> <laughs> I have a really hard time getting out of bed in the morning. Mm. 
Um, and I can stay up even still like working on my last assignments. I think the last one I was up till two 30 in the morning, just working away at an assignment. I can do that, but I can't get out of bed. Well, <laughs> I can, but it's painful. <laughs> mm. Um, when we can travel, where's the next place you want to go? The mountains. I want to oh, go to Vancouver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so beautiful. Yeah. What's your favorite book? I don't really have a favorite, I don't think. Um, like, I can think of different ones along the ways that I really, that kind of changed me. Um, I would say in the last 10 years or so, anything by Eugene Peterson or um, Henry Nowen are just, they're shapeshifters for me. Mm. They just really, really change me. Um, I like reading historical fiction when I'm not... Um, reading too much other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, if you weren't working at Youth Unlimited YFC, what would you be doing? I would be looking for a pastoral position somewhere. Mm. Nice. Oh. Well, aside from these things, tell us a bit about yourself. What makes Mel Mel? If there's anything important other than whether you like pulp or not. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, I was going to say the exact same thing. <laughs> And how I like to get out of bed in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. What else is important? Um, uh, Yeah. Trick question. (laughs) 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 What's important? I think a huge part of my um, growing over the last several years has been um, working on my degree. Mm -hmm. That has been really, really big in my life. It's taken up a lot of space and time. And uh, I'm looking really forward to right now going, okay, that's done. What Mm. else? What else is there in life? Mm. Um, Because all kinds of things. I used to love to make things, create things, be really crafty and and fun. Um, All of that's gone on hold. So Mm. I'm kind of excited right now Mm. to go. Who's Mel going to be now? Like what? what? (laughs) Like Mm. a kid out of high school. Like, ah, the whole world is ahead of me. Yeah. Yeah. And um, people are really important to me. Um, Community. um, My little community of Journey Church. Um, Yeah. I don't know. There's not really very many important (laughs) things about Mel (laughs) that you need to know. (laughs) Well, we can agree to disagree on that one, but (laughs) but we will thank you for the introduction. So we're so excited for today's conversation. We are talking about identity. That's this season. And, you know, we're talking to different people who are professionals about, you know, like youth culture, people's own personal stories. We're going to get to talk to you a little bit about both, really. And, you know, we wanted to have you on the show because, one, we love you. I mean, we're coworkers with you. You're like... Our little wife, see mom. I remember when I was sick, when I was, le- I first started working at YFC, I was sick as a dog. Oh my gosh. And I remember coming here and I'm like, I'm just so tired and I'm not like, I don't know. I was living by my, I was living here in town and it was new. You're like, oh, like, what, why don't you go to the grocery store and you can pick up these things in not in like a smothering way of like, I need to fix you or like a belittling way. But I'm just like. I just needed a mom. <laughs> <laughs> so I think about that. I'm like, yeah, Liz was my, or Mel is my list mom. Anyways, yes, <laughs> we love you. That is so sweet. Yes. So we love being like, hi, mom. Bye, mom. At work, you'll hear that once in a while. 
Um, so yes, obviously, big reason. We love having people we love on the show. But also, you do such a good job of marrying kind of like theology and your personal story really well. So you mentioned that you were doing your degree. So if you're listening, we're actually congratulating Mel right now because she just finished her master's. <laughs> Woo! And it has been <laughs> a long time coming. So yeah, we've got to see you along the journey. So we know you've learned a lot through that. So we're excited to talk about that. Um, and so we're going to kind of start off about the wilderness and, you know, we see it all through scripture, this theme of wilderness, and we know that that's going to be a big theme in our conversation. It's a big thing for you. So this is what I want to ask you. Tell us what the wilderness means to you. That is such a big question. <laughs> loaded. We love loaded questions on the podcast. I was ready. I'm like, oh, this is oh. a big one. <laughs> in one word or less? Like, is that <laughs> Or what does no, it mean No, you to can me? take more than one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. Wilderness, I think, is a beautiful invitation of God's grace. Mm -hmm. It is, um, in my own personal journey of it, it has been the most terrifying experience of my life. Um, But it is also the most profoundly shaping, identity-shaping time of my entire life. And this isn't, you know, something I went through in high school. It's something that I went through in the last decade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, identity crisis and identity formation is what wilderness speaks to me. Hmm. <laughs> um, and how have you seen this wilderness in your life? Again, a huge, like, that's a big question that can go in a lot of direction. Um, but, yeah, how have you personally experienced that? So... Uh, to talk about how the wilderness started for me, I really have to talk about what happened before, mm-hmm. which was this huge moment in my life when God intervened and just completely met me where I was. I kind of recognized myself in his light for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. And um, it really changed me. I was all in. I was so completely moved by his like grace and showing up in my life and changing me that I was just hungry. I was hungry for more. I started diving into the Bible like it was my treasure map and and really aching for everyone else to know. Like, he's real. He's, he's really real. I realized how long I had gone to church. I'd gone to church my whole life, but never had um, a real moment of identity transformation. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it was just, it was powerful. It was moving. Everything in me changed. And I began to um, kind of look at my my um, church where I served and say, okay, God, I want more of you. I want more of you. I want more of you for the kids here. I want more of you for this community. How, how, how do we start this? You know, where do we start? So I just ended up kind of saying wherever my kids move to in their stage of development, I want more of you, Jesus. How how does this work? And he just seemed to keep saying to me, yeah, okay, are you willing? And so when they were in the nursery, I coordinated the nursery and I wanted people to really feel God's presence in the nursery and pray over those babies while they were caring for them and play with them like Jesus would. And um, then when they hit uh, grades one to five, there were times when I knew that they were going out and just watching VeggieTales because nobody really wanted to do anything with them. And I was like, oh, no way, like these are our kids. Jesus, I want more of you. And so started a high voltage, like a program, coordinated that and taught 
kids in grades one to five, called it high voltage, like getting plugged into Jesus. Like this should be the best time of their week. Which when was, God is, by the way, when I was in grades one to five. <laughs> <laughs> I want them to get plugged in, like I really experience God's presence right here. Um, when they went to junior high, we had lost our youth pastor and, and, um, it was a time sort of, of like just waiting. And I was like, no, I don't want these, this season to go past in their life. Like what? I want more of you, Jesus. And so went into, to junior high ministry. And, um, I had prior to having kids, I had, um, given up a career in counseling to be at home, to be a stay at home parent. So I had lots of time to volunteer and I just seemed to move from one kind of stage to another. Um, my prayer during that season was really, Jesus, I want to be just like you. I, I want to know you so well. I want to be transformed to be like you. And I want you to show up to this community, mm. to this community of church and to this community of Listowel. Like I, I believe you're real now. I've experienced you and I, I just want more of you. I want, um, some people might say revival. I, I just want you to make yourself known. I want mm. you to reveal yourself. And uh, God seemed to be saying, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that and calling me along to be a part of it with him. So I can remember one time at a conference, we were asked to be still and listen. And I heard one word and it was school. And it was so audible hmm. that I literally looked around in my seat to say, who said that? <laughs> like, where wow. did that come from? And so I was chicken. There was no part of me that wanted to go back to school. <laughs> I was content to be teaching my kids at home. And um, so I really needed some affirmation. I said, God, if that's really you, like if that was you and that was for me, you need to show me because I don't know what this means. So it seemed to be a calling to pastoral ministry to go back to school. And um, so within a couple of weeks, somebody said to me, um, I was describing something that I had read in the Bible, and she said to me, Mel, you should have been a pastor. And I was like, oh, wow. well, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> <laughs> so I headed off to Bible college for a year. Mm -hmm. And a couple of profs there at Emmanuel Bible College pulled me aside and said, I think you should go for your master's. I don't think you need to be here. You have an undergraduate degree in counseling. Why don't you just go for your master's? And my reaction was, you're nuts. Like, I have no desire for a graduate degree. Those people are really smart. Like, I'm not an <laughs> academic. I don't belong there. Mm -hmm. What's a girl like me going to do in a place like that, right? Um, but again, I prayed, investigated, researched, and applied for McMaster Divinity College. And straight out asked them there at an open house, what's the bare minimum you expect of me? Like, I need, I need to know <laughs> if I can fit here. Mm -hmm. And they said one course per semester. So... That was it. I couldn't shake the sense that God was going to reveal himself in our community and he was asking me to come along with him. I was so pumped. And then it happened. Here I am feeling so powerfully transformed by Jesus, so on fire for him and so excited about the things that he was doing as I moved through all of those different ministries. And something happened that shifted me so profoundly and affected me so deeply, I was reeling. I remember describing it to a friend like I had been in a brutal accident. I was just minding my own business, biking along the side of the road, gaining mm. momentum and gaining momentum when I felt like I was hit by a transport truck. Left for dead at the side of the road. 
And when I regained consciousness, I was picking myself up and looking around and there was just, I can still see it, the exact picture that I felt like in the moments. It was, there was fire. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, you see in the movies where there was a great big fire and all that's left is rubble and little pockets of flame in whatever ash is left going on there and smoke, smoldering ash and smoke everywhere. That's all I saw. It was dark. I couldn't see anything beyond the scene of the fire. And I looked around for signs of life and there was nothing. So here I am picking myself up. My ears are ringing. I'm completely bruised and battered. I don't see anybody else near me. And I'm wondering where to go from here. And I remember some of my prayers like, God, how could you allow this to happen to me? Did I hear you wrong? <laughs> if I really heard you and I was obeying you, then I'm so confused. This doesn't feel like love. <laughs> are you really good? <laughs> Did you trick me? Did you just literally wipe me out to get me out of the way? Are you done with me? Mm. Did I do something wrong? Is this punishment for something that I did? Is it unconfessed sin? Is, is your calling for me to pastor in Listowel something that I misunderstood? And the calling and passion I feel to teach scripture, something I need to lay down in your hands. And this is the way that you are going to get me to do it. Mm. I cried every day. I went to bed with tears wetting my pillow. I woke up in the middle of the night with tears rolling down my cheeks. Mm. I woke up in the morning with red puffy eyes, only to start the day all over again. I remember once saying to Ross as he was hugging me through my pain, I looked up at his face and I said, I promise you one day there will be no more tears in these eyes. He like there was never a time that there wasn't tears mm. rolling down my face. I have had miscarriages, I've experienced sexual abuse, but nothing, nothing in my life was as painful as this season of grief and loss and confusion. To make matters worse, in all of my prayers, either my ears were rung so badly that I couldn't hear, mm. which could be because sometimes my kids say that I'm half deaf, <laughs> <laughs> mm. or it really was true. My perceptions were true. God was silent. Mm. So all my life, I had thought that following Jesus meant my life would be good. That since he was for me, he would take my broken pieces and fit them together in ways that brought me life to the full. There was no room in my ways of thinking about God for obedience and faithfulness to bring me to wilderness and suffering. Mm. But that's exactly where I was. So here I am at McMaster Divinity College <laughs> Seminary, wondering what I was even doing there. Like, if God is done with me, why am I working so hard at a degree with four kids at home and um, life at work? I don't know if God was still calling me. I didn't know, honestly, who God even was. If he allowed this to, me, to happen to me, then did I even want him to be part of my life? If he really did call me to pastor, then I wasn't understanding how this was leading me in that direction. I questioned each one of the very real conversations I had had with God. Like, we really believe that God talks to us, right? Mm -hmm. and, and most of the time, other people aren't really in on those conversations. So maybe I, maybe I just made them all up. 
Was it just self-talk in my own head? Is that why I was so um, abandoned in the wilderness? I questioned everything. God, God's existence. I questioned faith. I questioned my calling. I questioned my identity. I was completely lost in the wilderness. So at that point in your life, where did you go from there? (laughs) It does sound crazy, right? Like you're at seminary going, okay, what? And now I'm talking to you at the end of the journey. Mm. Um, But uh, I I think what I experienced was a breadcrumb trail. Uh, A breadcrumb trail of God's provision in the middle of the wilderness. And um, it really started with scripture for me. So here I am at seminary and we are kind of um, coerced. to read to read through the bible every um every year so uh, we were really encouraged pick the bible up in a new way as if you've never read it which for me was really easy because i was like i don't even know i don't know who i am i don't know who you are mm. and and so on my um 4 hours of driving every tuesday to <laughs> back and forth to mcmaster i listened to the bible and um it was, it was little things at first. Well, maybe not so little. Um, but first it was things like really listening to the journey of Jesus in Luke 4. And I, I, had, I think I stopped and like reread it and reread it and reread it. Because get this, God the Spirit led God the Son into the desert to be tempted by the devil according to the will of God the Father. Like, what? (laughs) Does that not sound crazy? And it just hit me. So wait a second. If we really believe that we are heirs, we are children of God, then this is the one true son showing us what it means. Actually, what it looks like to be a child of God, to be loved by the father. My wilderness all of a sudden didn't mean that God didn't love me. It meant that God did love me. Mm. He was allowing me in to being a true child of God. And it was like a light bulb went off in my head. What was my concept of love Mm. that I didn't understand what it means to be loved by the Father and allowed to participate in Him, in His very nature? Um. So that's what love looks like. Wilderness, desert, invitation. Um, I realized I had a warped sense of love. And I realized that this is what love looks like in the Father's kingdom. It is true love for a child. This is how us kids actually get to dwell with the Father Mm. (laughs) and learn from Him and trust Him and come to be about our Father's business. And then it was, it just opened up like a flood. As I reread scripture and re-listened to God's words, I saw it over and over and over again. It was like, how could I have missed it? All these years I'd gone to church, all these years I'd read scripture. I've never seen the wilderness as something that the people of God go through and the child of God goes through. Um, yeah, it, it changed me, this wilderness wandering. So I went back to Exodus And realized that the wilderness wandering was the opportunity for the people of God to come to know him. Mm. They had known the ways of Egypt. They knew the ways of slavery and pharaohs. This was a rude awakening. (laughs) 
And it was rude. I mean, they're three days in after the Exodus moment, and they're like, let us go back to Egypt. Mm-hmm. We don't like it out here. We don't, we don't know how to rely on God to provide for us. We don't know how to let go of our three square meals a day. We don't know how to trust your provision. We don't know how to move. We don't know where we're going. It was humiliating for them. It was awful. It was painful. They were instructed to move when God moved. They literally learned to camp with God at their center. And that's the biggest gift of Exodus. Mm. So wilderness was an invitation to know God. So I went through scripture when this was happening to me. I went through scripture in Exodus and I underlined all the times that it says, this is how you will know that I am the Lord your God. I, I haven't even I haven't even counted them. I, it's on my to-do list. I really want to follow through with this and see how many times, but I can list a whole bunch of them. Exodus 5, 2, 6, 7, 7, 5, 8, 22, 9, 14, 10, 2, 14, 4, 14, 18, 16, 6, 18, 11, 19, 4. You guys might choose to cut this. This is <laughs> exciting to me. Mm. And no, this, this word no This is not the first time this is used in scripture. So this is meaningful to the people who write these things. Why are they using this language, this no? And if we go back to Genesis, what was the tree that human beings in the garden were not to touch? The tree of the... Knowledge. knowledge of good and evil. And in Hebrew poetry, and the way that they write, that is called a merism, which is just a big word to mean. It means everything. When they say good and evil, it's like they're putting, um, what do you call it, book uh, bookends around all knowledge. Good and evil is like alpha and omega. It's the beginning and the end. It's the fullness of knowledge. Don't touch it. It is not yours to touch. Do not think you know. So when in Exodus we see this, no, 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 you will know that I am the Lord your God. God is grounding his people in, this is what it's safe for you to know. That I am God. And now the knowledge that I give you, so all those instructions in Exodus and Leviticus, this is how I want you to live. This is restoration of the garden. This is how life is going to be restored to good. Don't trust all that other stuff you know. It's all garbage. Don't touch it. (laughs) So like when I was reading this again, as if for the first time, picking up the Bible and going, what? What? This wilderness is grace. It is an extension, an invitation to this people to really know God, to get rid of all their other ideas, all the things they got to shed off of who they were back in Egypt in slavery, all the things they'd been taught, maybe even about him. This is who I am. This is who I want you to know. And now I'm going to give you my instruction for how to live life my way. We know that Israel found this incredibly painful. Mm. It's, they write it. They're so honest. Three days after they have the exodus, they want to go back. We see them learning how to wait on God. And when Moses is up in the mountain, they're like, oh, it's scary out here. We don't like this wilderness thing. We're just going to make another God. Mm. And I'm like, how true of us as people. This is us. They're describing us. Um, 
even when they finally get to the promised land and they send the spies in to see, you know, are we we going in? Um, Let's just scope this out so that we get the lay of the land. They were supposed to come back and just take the land after two years in the wilderness. And instead of trusting God, they clearly hadn't known God well enough yet. (laughs) (laughs) They went back out until they were ready to really trust him and obey. So this is a great example of something that happens repeatedly in God's story. Pain can be an invitation. It is grace. Mm. Pain is an opportunity for some of us for the first time to actually look up and go, oh, where are we then? And what is going on around me? And have a look around us to see what we're supposed to do. Pain isn't something we like. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) disorientation actually can be a gift. It's a gift to see things in a new way Mm. and be enabled somehow to be open to seeing God in Mm. a new way, Mm. seeing ourselves in a new way, maybe even seeing the mission of God for a change in history in a new way. So I really learned in that season that sometimes God leads you to the wilderness because he has chosen you, Mm. because he loves you, because he wants you to know him better and to know yourself better, Mm. (laughs) to have a window to really experience him, even because you are obedient. Mm. But whether God's led you to the wilderness intentionally or you wind up in the wilderness because of somebody else, God is still God in the wilderness. Mm. This is not a time where we have to think that, oh, he's gone. Mm. (laughs) We're out. That's not what I read. So welcome to the journey of faith. If you thought that following Jesus would bring you complete peace and end confusion and suffering at times, you are reading the wrong story. Mm. (laughs) Exodus stands clearly against that mindset. And so does the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Christ. Mm. The powerful salvation acts of God are an invitation to a trajectory change in our identity. Mm. And the ways that God makes children are the ways of Israel and Jesus. Just like they say in boot camp, no pain, no gain. <laughs> try, to tell, try to tell a heroin addict in the first week of detox as they mm. try to change their identity, this feels good, doesn't it? Mm. No, it doesn't. Mm. Allowing God to have the space in our lives to change our image into his should actually bring out some fairly significant reactions. Think of vinegar and baking soda. If you want to make vinegar a solid and no, vinegar is not a solid. (laughs) If you want to make vinegar a liquid and baking soda a solid into a gas, there's a fairly violent reaction. (laughs) Turns out God changing us to be more like him is going to require some significant transformation Mm. and wilderness and suffering are one of the pathways that he goes about doing that. Wow, that's good. <laughs> I don't even feel like I can add to that. Um, when you were in the thick of it, like this was not, you know, a few weeks of your life. Like this has been a long time of processing and being shaped. 
But when you think of like when you were in the thick of it, what lies were you believing? Oh man, the biggest one, guys, was that God didn't love me. Hmm. It was really clear. Um, his silence in the deepest time of my pain must mean he had deserted me, right? That this was his anger, his disappointment in me. Um, I, I don't know where, it's not like it was ever kind of explicitly taught to me that if you're following Jesus, everything's going to go well for you. I, like, I can't think of one sermon or one message or one, I, I can't think of anything like that, but clearly that's the, that's the um, sort of way of thinking that I had come to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um, this wilderness, this desert experience, personal suffering must mean I had done something wrong. And I really found myself reading the scriptures of Job, um, Ecclesiastes, um, all of those, even Jeremiah, some of the prophets, like, no, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that, that wasn't, it wasn't true. It clearly wasn't true anymore. So I was wrong. This wilderness, even suffering, is grace. It was his time to have me in his hands, even when I couldn't hear him, even when I couldn't see straight. Um, I remember reading one of Eugene Peterson's books when I was in the thick of it. And he wrote that the biblical picture of the people of God is that they are experiencing their perceived silence of God probably about half of the time in the biblical story. And I was like, what? This is Eugene Peterson. So I like, okay, this, I, I, he grabbed my attention and he directed us to the Psalms where they even say, where are you, God? How could you do this? Mm. You know, I could understand this if I had betrayed you or if I had gone against you in some way, but I haven't. What is this? What is the meaning of this? And I realized he, he said, We as Christian leaders are going to need to become a lot more comfortable and familiar with this, with these seasons of wilderness and suffering and perceived silence of God if we are to tell the whole truth. Mm. And so, yeah, the biggest one was that God didn't love me. And there were those breadcrumb trails to remind me that, no, he does. (laughs) So another one that I really experienced a lie is that I was alone. There was really nobody else that I could talk to about this, or I didn't think that there was. I didn't want to share it with anybody. I really felt like being called to be a pastor, if I was experiencing this, then there was something wrong with me. Um, I wish I had known then what I know now. (laughs) After reading, so at seminary as well, we were really encouraged to dig deep into the treasure troves of the history of the church that had gone before us. And there are so many saints who talk about these dark nights of the soul. They talk about leadership transformation and how God really requires to do the transformation inside of us so that he can use us to do what he intends to do for the current moment. Um, Wilderness, desert, suffering, they're maybe more like signposts of discipleship. Mm. Not that we seek them out, (laughs) but when we get an invitation to these things, there are so many people who have written about, it's an invitation. It's God's grace. Don't miss it. And coming out the other side of that, their stories of ministry are phenomenal. They are filled with grace. Even now, though, guys, I think one of the biggest lies that I hear is that, um, and one of the things that I sometimes struggle with not letting be a God to me is what other people think of me. Mm -hmm. 
And even as I was kind of thinking about sharing today, um, there's just this, you know, vulnerability about being open and honest about wilderness and suffering. And um, I sometimes fear that people who have experienced God differently than me will attack my theology, will attack my way of following Jesus. Um, And one time when I was really, really struggling with this, God led me to Hebrews 12. It's that great passage about, so now that we have in full view this great cloud of witnesses that have gone before you, strip off all the sin that holds you back. And um, at the end, it talks about discipline. It talks about God training you to be more like him. Don't shake that off. Don't, Don't reject it. This is what proves that you are a child of God and that he loves you. So just like that, right? He just speaks right to it. Mm -hmm. My child, don't regard this time of discipline lightly or lose heart for the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. God is treating you as children. So take a new grip with your tired hand. And I could just Mm -hmm. see myself as really, you know, getting up from that fire, battered and bruised, not really knowing how do I do this then? Mm. Um, He said, take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your wobbly knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but Mm. become strong. And it was just a really powerful reminder to me that, nope, this is my way. You're on it. Don't lose heart. Stand up and start to walk because there are others who will follow. So this is a lot. <laughs> I can. It's just like, it. this is not our natural way of thinking of like, oh, suffering. Mm-hmm. What an invitation. I mean, mm-hmm. I can look back on the experiences that I've been through and look back and it's like, yeah, I would go through that again. Um, knowing what I know now mm-hmm. and knowing the transformation that um, I've been through. But how does suffering in wilderness seasons impact our identity? I, I think from what I read in scripture, what I see in the lives of the disciples who follow Jesus for three years, only to come to a point where he dies. And I see in scripture how they walked away. <laughs> they, they, in their wilderness season, in that short period, um, they were completely lost except for Jesus walking along beside them and appearing to them and showing himself to them and calling them back and reminding them, no, guys, like this is, this is normal, right? This is normal. Mm-hmm. And each one of those disciples ended up becoming a martyr mm-hmm. for Christ, believing him so completely that nothing shook them, believing him that even in their death, they were going to experience resurrection, <laughs> that they didn't have to hold on to their lives as something that they owned, that they could submit to Christ in everything. But I know, so when I think about what wilderness does to our identity, I think it's a season where we're allowed to become something completely different, where the things that we knew are dropped, shaken, um, stirred Mm -hmm. until, you know, we can see them rightly and see if they fit with this knowledge of God or don't fit with this knowledge of God. Um, I know I've talked to you guys in, uh, the office before about, uh, the movie Inside Out. Mm. And, um, 
This movie came out in 2015, the year after this painful wilderness journey for myself began. For anyone who ends up listening to this that doesn't know what that movie is, watch it Inside Inside Mm -hmm. Out. It's a great movie about an 11-year-old girl who uh, moves with her dad gets a new job in a new city. And uh, it's literally a movie about what happens in her brain. Uh, what's happening on the inside of her, which is really her identity, her her image of herself, her understanding of who she is, that was grounded in certain islands. So she had a hockey island. She had a family island. She had these different islands that represent how she understood herself. And this move of her dad shakes everything. She loses all of those pieces of her identity and... Um, doesn't know who she is anymore. And it's, it talks about, it's really real about that identity crisis in this little 11 year old girl's life. And I think I would say that suffering and wilderness do this. Um, that became my favorite movie for quite a while (laughs) because it told my story. It helped me to articulate what was going on inside of me. All those things that I thought about myself, my my calling, my understanding of who I was as a child of God, my knowledge of God, my um, identity, my goals and plans for the future, everything was shaken. And so the way that I look at suffering and wilderness is that it shakes us to our core. And there's a reason why God would allow that to happen to us, because it's only when our core is shaken and stirred that he can actually take up residence in our core. (laughs) He doesn't want just kind of superficial parts of us. He Mm. actually wants to take up residence in our core. He wants his image to be planted deeply, deeply within us. And so as much as it's devastating, as we watch our islands crash and we, we don't know who we are anymore. It, that's why I can say now it's, it's an invitation. It's grace. It's a way of expressing his love and mm. planting himself deeply inside of us. Mm. The reality is we don't know where to go. We get lost. We get confused. We doubt. We shame ourselves. We guilt ourselves in wilderness mm. and suffering. Uh, I think especially, I think what's most devastating is when there's no examples of those people before us mm. that... Um, we honestly give up sometimes. Sometimes we mm-hmm. run away. We can't find hope. And I, and honestly, that's the only reason that I would come to a place like this <laughs> and share what happened to me. Because my heart now is for people to hear the whole truth mm-hmm. about God's word, about who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, I know how terrifying it is, and I know how much you can't even breathe sometimes. And I just really want to speak hope and peace to other people who are actually Mm -hmm. going through seasons of wilderness and suffering. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that it is when we are shaken to our core that Jesus can actually become king of every piece. Mm -hmm. All the other islands that form after wilderness can be placed in their rightful spots. Mm -hmm. We see him more clearly and more fully and we're changed in his presence. So it is, it is image making. <laughs> and that is incredible. 
Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening on so you never miss a Monday episode. And we'll see you next week for part two of that conversation with Mel. You will not want to miss it. Also, you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Just Work Friends to keep updated on everything that's going on. Until next time. Goodbye. <laughs>